Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Well, I wrote about it uh, this morning at johnconzano.com. If you subscribe, you're reading me. You get it in real time, delivered to your email inbox. Uh, Gert Boyle would have turned 99 this week. Monday, yesterday, was her birthday. She died a few years ago, and uh, I uh, reached out to her son, Tim Boyle, the CEO, president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear today, and he told me uh, I still miss her like crazy. Uh, our next guest knows her. Helped Gert Boyle write her autobiography. Uh, if you haven't read the autobiography, um, I encourage you to take a look at it. It's called One Tough Mother. And uh, Carrie Timchuk of the Oregon Historical Society, the executive director there, a guy with a rich history in our region, uh, worked for and worked with a whole bunch of important people. Carrie Timchuk joining us to talk about Gert Boyle. Uh, how are you doing, Carrie? I still miss her like crazy too, just just like Tim does. She was, uh, gosh, a, a force of nature. Uh, you know, the Oregonian once described her as uh, the patron saint of Oregon, and I think that's a great description of her. Now, give me an idea because you you got to go through that process of writing a book with her. What was that? The process of trying to you know tell the story and help her tell her own story like for you. Well, A, it was just so damn much fun. I mean, I, di- I didn't know her at all, and they had been looking for someone to, uh, to help her tell her story. And uh, Peter Bragdon, who was Columbia's legal counsel, knew me and, and knew I had done, helped my old boss's uh, Bob and Elizabeth Dole with some books. And he called me up and said, come out and meet her and see if, uh, see if you're a match. And I went out, and uh, we, were, uh, we were friends at first sight and just had uh, so much fun. And I just took her through her life. And tape recorded her, asked her, asked her questions, describe her life, and she. Uh, the book, as she said, is just like her, short, sweet, to the point, and it's just it's just her story and her words, and what a story it is. Yeah, when you look back at it, you know, and I, I've talked to Tim, her son, about this. It's 1970. Her husband passes away. He has a heart oh. attack. It's oh. a sudden death, and you have, uh, you know, a 46-year-old mother with three children facing. You know, how do I run this company, or do I run it, or do we sell it, or what do we do? Um, when you talk to her about this in the process of writing the book, how much anxiety, how much confusion at that time, you know, as she recounted it? Lots. I mean, and she said, uh, he, you know, her husband had never been sick a day in his life, uh, all of a sudden died of a heart attack, uh, and she uh, was faced with taking over this company just after he had taken out a major loan with the Small Business Administration. And the lawyers came to her on day one and said, basically, how are you going to pay this back? And she just, she she described it. She said, you know, if someone asked me if I could swim a mile in the ocean, I'd tell them no way. But if someone took me a mile out in the ocean and pushed me over the boat, I'd start swimming. And she said that's what she did. And Tim, who was a senior in college, came home to help her and they started swimming the best they could and didn't didn't know what they didn't know 
And after the first year, uh, the bank came to them basically and said, you're, you know, you're losing money. Sales were less than a million dollars a year, revenue. Uh, you need to sell. They found a buyer, and they were signing the papers. And the, the whole story could have been different, Columbia's whole story. They were signing the papers, and the buyer started to nickel and dimer and said, well, I want to change this. I don't want the zipper inventory. I don't want this. She did some math in her head, figured out she'd walk away with a couple thousand dollars. And she said, for that much money, I might as well run it into the ground myself. She showed the guy where the door was, told him where to go and what to do in, <laughs> in gir typical GERD language. And, and then from then on, she said, things got better. We're talking to Kerry Tim Chuck with the Oregon Historical Society. He's the executive director there. Um, you know, you obviously have got a rich history, uh, you know, serving uh, publicly and, and otherwise uh, as as a speechwriter and legal counsel to Bob Dole, Senator Dole, chief of staff to Senator Gordon Smith. Um, where does Gert Boyle fit into the story of Oregon employment and prosperity and entrepreneurship? At, at the very top. I mean, just to think of what they did. Again, less than a million dollars of revenue and sales. And that wasn't profit. That was just sales. And you take away all the expenses and they were barely making even when she took over in 1970. And then to build it uh, with Tim's help to uh, to what it's become today, and to do it with such, you know, spirit and fun. And, and to answer Anna's question that she had, it was an advertising agency. It was Borders, Perrin, and Norinder, a Portland firm, who came to her and came with the idea of this One Tough Mother campaign where Gert runs roughshod over her poor son, you know, torturing him and, and testing the products. And Gert's first reaction was she didn't like it because she was a woman CEO in a very male-dominated industry, the sporting goods industry, the outdoor clothes industry. She was the, the only woman in the business, the only woman CEO in the business. And In fact, one guy called her up one time early on and said, uh, I'd like to talk to the CEO. She said, speaking. And he said, well, you're a woman. And she said, you know, I noticed that when I got up this morning. <laughs> and uh, they 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 thought highlighting the fact that a woman was in charge wouldn't be good for the business. Uh, but they tested out the ads, saw the reaction to them, and went with it. And that really helped change uh, change the picture, along with the you know the same boat that lifted the same tide that lifted Nike. The out being able to dress more informally, to dress for the outdoors, to not be in a suit and tie all the time, uh, that helped Columbia as well. And and off they went. I heard the story today. I kind of wrote about the kidnapping attempt and then the police chief stopping absolutely, by our house. To absolutely s true. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. absolutely true. Give me, give me though, the exact it, the recount. Like when the police chief comes by, is Gert really at the kitchen table having a drink or what is it? Was it the night of the incident? When was it? it yes, it was the night of the incident and after everything had calmed down. And again, how this turned out so, so more and just awful. Uh, but because of her quick thinking of ringing the silent alarm and the police getting up there, uh, but it was at the end of the night, the kids were there, uh, you know, trying to calm, everything was kind of calm, and the, the police chief of West Lynn said, I just came back, came by one more time, Mrs. Boyle, to make sure everything was okay. And she looked at him and said, everything was okay until you came in with that North Face jacket on. And uh, only Gert would be able to, uh, to, to think of that, and... She took she took note. She was watching uh, back in the last not this this most recent governor's campaign, but the one before that when Kate Brown was running for reelection. There was a commercial, 
and Kate had a Patagonia on in the commercial. And Gert called me up and she said, have you seen the commercial? And I said, what commercial, Gert? And she said, Kate Brown's, but she's wearing a Patagucci. I said, I said yeah. you mean a Patagonia? She said, yes, a Patagonia. And she said, you need to call her and tell her that she, you know, she should be wearing Columbia or at least an Oregon product. And I said, Gert, no, you call her. And she said, no, you know, Kate, you call her. So I ended up calling the governor and told her she owed Gert an apology. And, and the Governor Brown, to her credit, called Gert up and said, you're right, I should have been wearing an Oregon product. I love that. Uh, Carrie Tim Chuck with us, Oregon Historical Society. Um, look, uh, I'm nostalgic. I've got re- great respect for people who have uh, pulled up the bootstraps and found a way. Gert Boyle, uh, not just a pioneer, not just a great leader, but like very adaptable human being. I mean, she showed that, yeah, it takes smarts, it takes guts, it takes – you know, it, it, you know, ingenuity, it, it takes, you know, but it takes real leadership. She was a leader, wasn't she? She was a leader, and it was, uh, she did what they needed to do to survive. And uh, she, you know, and what, what, what I loved about her is that even after they became successful, she was still the same person. You never would have known, you know, how successful they were. And if you back when they were just barely making it, I mean, she watched every expense account. She signed all the expense checks, and the same thing happened when they were successful. Uh, if you got a call to come into her office after you got back from a sales trip, she was going to question whether did you stay in this hotel? Why was there a cheaper hotel? Uh, how much you know this restaurant that was pretty expensive? She was watching the penny, and because she said she watched them when they were just barely making it, and she needed to watch them again uh, when they when they were successful. And uh, just and the, her sense of humor. She loved the saucy jokes. She called me all the time with the with the latest joke, and uh, just was a. Just, and she nobody was Gert Boyle better than Gert Boyle. <laughs> and <laughs> to see that I, I I traveled with her a lot and went around and had, had was out to dinners with her and to see the reaction of people when they saw her, you know, they just smiled instantly, and they always wanted they always asked me, is she the same person? that you see on the commercials, you know, and, and she was, she was, you know, she was tough, she was exacting, but a heart as big as anything, you know, a philanthropist, of course, she famously gave a hundred million dollars to the Knight Cancer Institute. She tried to do it anonymously, uh, didn't want any credit for it, but when the press started to nose around and get close to the truth, she had a press conference with Dr. Drucker up at OHSU and said, yes, I'm the one, you know, I I gave a hundred million dollars and one of the reasons I wanted to do it was to prove that there were women philanthropists as well, and women could give money just like men could. 99, she would have been this week. Uh, I'm glad that her legacy continues. Her son, Tim, now running the company as the president and CEO. Um, I, you know, some of the response I got today, Carrie, was from people who said, you know, it's great to see a family continue to run a business, even of that magnitude, to see the involvement of the Boyle family. Um, you know, can you speak to that a little bit, maybe? I mean, I know you're close with the family in general. No, absolutely. And Gerd would tell you that her one of her best, best accomplishments was her kids. Three kids, Tim, of course, is at the company. Sally Bainey, who uh, also a very successful business person in her own right, who owned Moonstruck Chocolates uh, for a while. And Kathy Degendorfer, uh, the artist, an artist in Sisters, Oregon, who, and they all now have foundations. They are generous philanthropists. They're involved in their community. They uh, just, you know, picked up uh, from Gert and 
really want to make a difference in Oregon. And Gert loved Oregon. Uh, she gave to so many causes. From Special Olympics, Oregon was one of her favorite causes. Uh, to CASA, and the kids have picked that up. And and couldn't be any more generous uh, to the state. We're we're lucky to have Columbia. And Tim is one of the you know most respected executives in the state, CEOs, and just couldn't be a, a better person. And they inherited their mom's sense of humor and their mom's love of the state. And, of course, she, one thing you didn't mention, John, was she barely made it here. Uh, 13-year-old uh, escaping her parents' escape from Nazi Germany in the nick of time. Uh, they were Jewish. They saw what was going to happen over there, and they got out in the nick of time, and some family members didn't get out. Carrie Timchuk is our guest. I, I really appreciate you coming on, especially on short notice. I reached out to you just before the show today because I felt like, you know, I could talk about Gert Boyle, but I really wanted somebody who knew her and worked closely with her on her book to, to join us. Uh, I also, I did not know you were a four-time Jeopardy champion. That You should lead with that. <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, it's, uh, no, I, it was quite a while ago, but, yeah, Art, uh, or, uh, Alex Trebek was the host, and it was uh, it, it was a good time. So I, lots of useless information finally came to him to help me there. Uh, you know, John, the Gert had two mottos uh, that she loved to say all the time. One was a little more serious. It was, uh, do your best today, and if you don't do your best today, then do better tomorrow. And she lived by that. And her other motto was, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell, and advertise. Love that. <laughs> it speaks to her work ethic and, and whatnot. Uh, Four-time Jeopardy champion. Uh, and the executive director of the Oregon Historical Society, Carrie Timchuk, is with us. Uh, for people who want to check out their, or get involved with the Oregon Historical Society, Carrie, how do they get involved, or how can uh, what can they see these days? Well, uh, the, online at www.ohs.org, and we're, of course we are downtown Portland in the park blocks. Uh, seven days a week we're open. Uh, we're free to all Multnomah County residents because of a levy that Multnomah County voters passed. A very we have a permanent exhibit, of course, on a fabulous exhibit on Oregon history and a very fun temporary exhibit there now to the end of the month from, from the Grammy Museum on the history of Motown. And it's got clothes that the Diana Ross and Supremes wore and the Jackson 5 wore and uh, a karaoke machine where you can sing Stop in the Name of Love with the Supremes and just a lot of history about the iconic record label and the history of Motown. Love that. Carrie, thank you for joining us and uh, helping celebrate Gert Boyle, who would have been 99 she was, this week. Uh, she was one of a kind, and I just, like I said, I know Tim misses her, and uh, all of Oregon misses her. She was, she was indeed the patron saint of Oregon. There it is. Carrie Timchuk, Oregon Historical Society. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. Pepper Judah Newby and Steven with some questions. You guys can fire him back at me if you want, but I first want to point out Pac-12 CEO group, the presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12, they met today, held their board meeting. It was a scheduled board meeting. The regents at uh, Colorado are meeting tomorrow, and everybody got in a tizzy over an agenda item that says Pac-12 athletics update. It really is just an update, I am told, uh, as Colorado's chancellor, Phil DeStefano, will probably be updating his 
regents on what is going on with the Pac-12's negotiation. Uh, I also looked back and noted that this was the 10th time since last summer that the regents at Colorado have met and included a item on the agenda that uh, pertained to the Pac-12. So I don't find this, like I saw some people on social media getting uh, all worked up about whether or not Colorado was going to vote to leave the conference. I don't think it's happening. I don't anticipate that happening. Uh, I think the Pac-12 uh, CEO group is meeting and has met today, probably already done. And uh, I think they're they're moving towards an agreement. I had one source in the Pac-12 tell me today that they believed that the conference would continue. This is this is a doubling down on the idea that the conference is going to come in above $31.6 million for their Tier 1 and their Tier 2 rights. Now, you and I both know we don't care what that number really is. We just want this over and done. And the things that I'm paying attention to when it comes to media rights are how long is the deal going to be? Will it be a deal that, you know, ends up expiring in front of the Big Ten's deal that, that expires in 2031? Does it or does it go after the Big Ten conference? Now, if I'm the Pac-12, I go early. I would want that deal to expire in 2029 because I'd want to eat twice before the Big Ten eats again. Don't want to let them uh, get to the table before you do. So keep an eye on that. Uh, guys, can I pepper you guys with some questions? Yeah, bring it. All right. Bring it on. All right, here it goes. I want to I want to start with the Pac-12 basketball tournament. Who wins the tournament in your mind? And in a secondary question, what's best for the conference? What's the best outcome for the conference? Answer those two questions. Number 1, I think UCLA wins the Pac-12 tournament. I do think UCLA is head and shoulders above everybody in this conference. And, uh, you know, I know Jaden Clark is injured. He was the defensive player of the year in the conference, and that will take some time to adjust. But I just love the veteran leadership they have on this team. This team's made it, you know, deep NCAA tournament runs. I love Jaime Hawkins. I think he's an underrated pro prospect as well. Like, I think this team is very talented. Mick Cronin uh, has not playing really well. I think the best thing for the Pac-12, and Gary Parrish talked about you played it in Punch It Audio, like, Arizona State, if they can beat USC, I think that's the best-case scenario. I think if they beat USC, the Pac-12 gets four teams in the conference. I think USC is in, even with a loss to Arizona State, because it's not going to be a bad loss. But I think Arizona State has to get a good win. And that would be a good win over USC. So I think best-case scenario, Pac-12 gets four teams in the conference or in the NCAA tournament with an Arizona State win over USC. Jared Anubi, who wins it? What's best for the conference? Yo, sorry. Uh, screen oh, screen okay. one, of, one of them oh, callers. The, all right. uh, Who wins the tournament, and what, but and what scenario is best for the conference? I think the Andy Enfield uh, hate is, is going a little too far, huh? Mm. We, we didn't mention USC once today. We didn't mention USC once yesterday. And, you know, they look pretty good. And uh, I loved the the scouting report that uh, that, that your scout gave on com. I'm uh, forgetting his name, but he did. Andrew it. Martin. Yeah. He's, He's a good writer too, by yeah. the way. He's fun. yeah, he's funny. He's funny. I funny. Love, yep. I love <laughs> the uh, Rick Pitino references with each team along the way. That was great. But look, USC is almost like boringly steady right about now, and boringly steady might might get you this this tournament, especially with the Clark injury for UCLA. Uh, I'm gonna throw Wazoo in there too. This might just be Wazoo might just have the vibes this year with the women and the men. They just might have it. So don't look look past them. I think the best thing for the Pac-12 is Oregon winning this thing. 
I'm not sure if you mentioned that, Stephen, but the best thing is Oregon because then you get that Oregon brand back into the tournament, back into the dance, and it increases your overall number of selections for the yep. tournament field as well. So it's a win-win. I'm with Jude on that Washington State pick. Like I think that they're actually going to upset Oregon in that second round. They're playing mm, really well. They could. They and could. Kyle Smith, I love him as a coach. I think they're playing really well. They got a you know great player, Muhammad Gay. I really like them in that second. They round. They got a lot of length. Uh, they got a good player. They got a good big man. For for Oregon, to me, it comes down to Will Richardson, guys, and yeah. I think a big part of his legacy hinges on. The performance on Thursday in that game, likely against Washington State, and then Friday, possibly against UCLA. Like, if we're going to classify Will Richardson at, in the same breath as Dylan Brooks, Peyton Pritchard, some other players that have gone through Oregon, he's got to have great performances in those two games. This is it, man. This is it. This is the legacy-defining moment for Will Richardson in terms of performance. I saw a graphic that went around socials last week that he has played – he has appeared in the most games of any Oregon Duck player ever. More than Peyton Pritchard, uh, more than, I'm forgetting who the other guy was on that list, but um, I think it was Jonathan Lloyd. He mm. broke Jonathan Lloyd and Peyton Pritchard's mark for most games played in as an Oregon Duck. He's been around for a while. He's been up and down in his career. And what, we, what Dana's asked of him, what fans have expected of him, his own attitude himself, and yet I know he's a good leader, and I know... He is the barometer of this team, and he has been for a while. But you are not wrong. He is the X factor. Oregon needs the best version of Will Richardson this week in order to have a chance and make a deep run. <sighs> I'm a little worried. Yeah. I don't I don't blame you because I think he has been a no-show, if we're being fair. He's been a no-show a few times in big games. And he, to me, he's the most understated, quietest star player that Oregon's had in some time. Like, I don't, I need to see some emotion for the guy. I want to hear his voice. I want to hear, like, you know, I, I don't want to go like, hey, Justin Herbert was too quiet on anybody here, but Will Richardson's been too quiet. Well, if Will Richardson was physically Justin Herbert, then maybe it'd be different as well, but he's not. He's not even that player either. Uh, but you're right. I mean, he's got to take care of the ball and he's got to be consistent and uh, avoid the undulations that have marred his career. Steady Will gets it done for Oregon in this tournament. Yeah, I don't think they need like a, a great version of Will Richardson to win some games. I think they just, like you said, Judah, they need some steadiness out of that point guard position because they have talent everywhere. Like They are a really good, talented team. And if Richardson just doesn't play bad and he plays average and he's controlling the game and controlling his tempo, you know Dan Alman is going to want to slow this slow the game down. They're not going to run it around, uh, get the fast breaks going. Like They slow it down in the tournament time. So. Yeah. I think Richardson has to have just a steady tournament, and then Oregon's got a shot. But it just kind of defines his entire career at Oregon. It's just been up and down. John, I know you said we could pepper you, so I will yeah, here. Um, I know you. I know that you like the Ducks to make a run here of of yeah. some kind. I'm that, picking them. I'm picking them to get to the title game, not to win it, but to get there. Then, as a thought exercise, what happens if they lose to Washington State? What does it mean for Dana, or if I anything? Don't, I don't think it means anything for his career. He's obviously, I think he's untouchable because of the Final Four appearance, and I think that he's long, got a really good recruiting class. That's a long yeah, time. yeah. He, but he's, I think he's got a great recruiting class coming in. There's a lot of excitement around it. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think it would just be disappointing if they lose on Thursday, and we would probably all chalk it up as, "Gosh, this season was so up and down. It ended down." Now I'm picking it to end up, 
because I like Dana Altman in a tournament. I like the way he coaches. I think I've seen him surprise in moments like this. I'm just not convinced totally that this team has every element it takes. And, and I probably wouldn't pick him to get to Saturday if UCLA was at full strength. So I'm looking at UCLA as much as I'm looking at Oregon, and I'm going, hey, uh, I think Oregon's playing for a lot more. I think they'd be locked in. I don't think UCLA can uh, – I don't think UCLA should be a one seed without Jalen Clark, and I don't think they will play like a one seed without Jalen Clark. Oregon State, 10-point underdogs against Arizona State. Do they uh, – Come on, they, they got any shot? Can Wayne Tingle pull some uh, conference no, tournament magic? I don't see it. It, and if Arizona State had not played better down the stretch. Now, Arizona State beat Arizona in that buzzer-beater game that was just wild. But Arizona State, when they are locked in, they trap you, they press you, they play great half-court defense. Um, you know, Andrew Martin called them uh, wild dogs uh, chasing a pot roast. Uh, they will force you to make mistakes. Their problem is they don't have they don't have a star. Like, you know, Desmond Cambridge Jr., Really good player. Closest thing they have to a star. But they don't have a star. Like, they don't have the, the Will Richardson guy. They don't have, you know, a Jaime Jaka's guy. You know, they don't have that. So, they, I think they need, uh, I think they can get by Arizona State. But I think Arizona State, I mean, Arizona State will get by Oregon State. But I don't think they have enough firepower to get to, like, the conference championship game. They'll trip against USC or Arizona. One of those two teams will beat Arizona State. Is it, but, is it crazy to think that Oregon State can keep this game close, though, because they are the, you know, at the conference tournament, neutral site, just a different eye line. Arizona State, we've mentioned this, not a great shooting team. Can, no. or, can Oregon State keep it close at least? I've seen Oregon State show up to this tournament you're and play. Smelling, you're smelling the plus 10. I just want the plus 10. Yeah, I think plus 10 is <laughs> the right play. I want to get you know, confirmation. Um, I, I think I don't, I don't mind that bet because I've watched Arizona State – probably as much as anybody this year, and I've seen them lay some eggs. And, you know, Oregon State's not going to get Arizona State uh, jacked for this game. Like, they're not – I don't think Arizona State comes into this game circling Oregon State saying this is this is our game, this is our moment. And I think there's a chance that Oregon State could keep this game close. So I like, I like 10, 10 and a half. Can you get 11? Like, you know, I mean, I just <laughs> – I start thinking in those terms, but – where Oregon State has had trouble is late in games. Like, you know, I, I think they, they've struggled to stay with teams. So I don't think so. I don't think it happens for Oregon State. I would take, uh, I don't know, 10 one, points. One final <sighs> question about Arizona State. Let's assume they beat Oregon State, which is probably likely. Are they in the NCAA tournament with that win, or do they have to beat USC as well? I think they need one more. I, I, I think they're firmly on the bubble. I think they need to beat USC to get to, into the tournament. And – and in part because I think this conference hasn't given teams like Arizona State many opportunities to get quality wins. You get a quality win when you beat UCLA. You get a quality win when you beat Arizona. You get a quality win when you get you get USC. And that's been part of the problem for Arizona State and Oregon have really struggled, and Washington State to some respect have struggled because there's lots of pitfalls. You lose to Washington, it's a bad loss. You lose to Colorado, it's a bad loss. You lose to Cal, it's horrible. You lose to Stanford, terrible. You lose to Oregon State, bad loss. There are just so many more opportunities to have uh, a blemish on your NCAA tournament resume when you are playing in the Pac-12 right now. And so I don't think 
from a respect standpoint, I think it's going to take beating USC for Arizona State. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.